1: Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko.
2: Hi, Kyla. Nice to be with you here in the office.
1: Are we, I can't remember if we were together or not together last week.
2: Yeah, we weren't. We weren't. We weren't. We, uh, rarely, it seems we're rarely together. And, of course, you can hear we have Wrigley here as well. I'm just going to turn down the intake a little bit, because I noticed when Wrigley barks it shoots it right off the scale, and pretty good chance he's going to bark again.
1: Well... Some of our listeners have said to me that their favorite part is when Brickley barks. And I don't know whether that's an insult to the quality of the programming on this podcast.
2: The discussion or just Wrigley's barking is the best part.
1: No, Wrigley sparks themselves, yeah. or just love for Wrigley. Um, mm. I I choose to interpret it as the latter.
2: Well, I just took him for a walk. He seems to be in a good mood today. He's uh, got his spirits up, and spirit um, it's a nice uh, sunny day today in Vancouver. You've enjoyed yourself a lot at the PNE.
1: Oh my gosh, have I enjoyed the PNE? I have been like living at the PNE.
2: Yeah, well, you're not this afternoon, but you've been oh, to okay. every concert every night, and I have to thank you because Kyla uh, arranged for front row tickets for her and I to go see one of my favorite bands, Vancouver bands, Doug and the Slugs, performing with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra at the PNE. And I have to tell you, this was just such a delightful event. And I want to publicly thank my friend Kyla for arranging it. We were right in the middle, sitting right in front. And um, of course, Doug passed away nine or 10 years ago uh, and one wondered what was going to happen to Doug and the Slugs because they've been around for like 45 years. I've been listening to them since I was like in my early teens. And um, Ted, the uh, the replacement for Doug, is fantastic. And uh, the little spin that he puts on the songs is great. His voice is wonderful. It was just such a good show.
1: Yeah. Well, I also learned last night when I was at Pat Benatar yes. <laughs> with some friends, some gossip about Ted from Doug and the Slugs. Oh, what's that? He sang at my friend Chris, who's been on the podcast before Chris Carter's wedding.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Neat. Well, he's a neat guy. I mean, the quality of singing was great. Apparently he lives in Penticton. Yeah. Uh, and I was reading on the Doug and the Sluds website that um, he basically thought of himself as a wash up um, and uh, was planning on trying to find some other career because all of the bands he had been in uh, had not succeeded. And he went for this, uh, uh, this, um, uh, what do you call it when you go into to, to try out for something I guess a tryout, uh, um audition uh, for Doug and the Slugs and he practiced for two weeks and he went in there and they were like okay yeah good you're good you've got the job well he's about the right age right hmm? he's he's about the same age maybe a couple years younger than the uh, rest of them and man he belted him out yeah it was great
1: anyway this is not the Doug and the Slugs podcast this is should be. Should be. It <laughs> to be a very boring podcast after a couple more, weeks. How much Douglas content could we? Have? We could talk about
2: Chinatown calculation for, you know, probably two or three episodes. Sure,
1: but instead, what we're going to talk about is seatbelt laws. Okay, let's go. So there was a traffic court appeal decision, a uh, case of Robin Carey who was uh, convicted of using a, or, well, driving without a seatbelt, um, contrary to Section 220, sub 4 of the Motor Vehicle Act. And for whatever reason, Mr. Carey decided to appeal this conviction, which I don't, it's like, what, $109? $109. $109. $109 budget. No, points. no points. No points. No points. And raised a very interesting argument.
2: Well, there were some not very interesting arguments, but there was at least one interesting
1: argument. Oh, it was Miss Carrie. sorry. Miss Carrie, not yes. Mr. Carrie. Yeah. Um So Miss Carrie, first of all, she tried to enter her evidence into court by way of like a something what called an affidavit of status. And this probably like it sounds a lot like a so- free, sovereign citizen, free man on the land thing where she wanted to May
2: not be, but that that's sort of like the language. Yeah, right? the language is
1: but it was actually just her um her information. Uh, about the evidence that she intended to give, and then there was an affidavit of facts, which was actually court cases that yep. she was bringing to court. So to she,
2: she just had the documents labeled in this manner, which yeah. is a little strange. But
1: The judicial justice obviously didn't allow her to enter either of the affidavits, but he did allow her to read her affidavit of status, her evidence, yes. into the record as her testimony.
2: And I think, consider the, the cases that were in the Yes. Their affidavit, yes. which really should have just been a written argument, they were, they were, yeah. but it's just mislabeled.
1: Yes, it was mislabeled. It it was fine, and the,
2: but, the court... but but refused importantly to allow the affidavit to be filed. Yes. So only way it could be used, or the only manner in which it was used, was essentially um, the uh, as a defendant. testimonial aid. Yeah, and uh, just basically to read from it, a testimonial mm-hmm. aid.
1: Yes. And uh, in her appeal, she alleged a number of issues, including that uh, there was an error in not in, in allowing the affidavits to be filed, which the court very quickly dismissed and said she was allowed to give her evidence reading from the affidavit of facts and or affidavit of status. And she was allowed to, like, refer to all the things in the affidavit of facts, the case law, in yeah. her submissions. So, y- you know, even if there was an error... There was no substantial wrong or miscarriage of justice, um, but the court did find that it was an error not to let her file them, which I th- found was strange. And there's not really any analysis of this because it was conceded by the crown.
2: But it, 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 it makes sense to me. So you think about it here. Um, you've got um, essentially a, a, a document that the person wants to file that is is their evidence that they you could you know, lots you of, lots of things, it. you can cross-examine them on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the judicial justice is probably looking at it and saying, well, this is not the procedure we normally use, but um, and allowed it to be facilitated by reading from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's not the procedure, but again, it would be admissible provided the person is there to be cross-examined.
1: Yes, and in any event, there's those weird exceptions in the Offense Act that say that at a trial... Of um, a violation ticket, the justice may adopt any procedures and admit any evidence that the justice feels is, may promote the fair and efficient resolution of the issues. Exactly. So, you know, seating her the the you know actual oral testimony by filing her oral testimony as written maybe should have been allowed.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, the court is saying that it should have been allowed, that it should have been admitted. Um, They're conceding that, but it, you know, it didn't matter because that evidence got in one way or another.
1: Yeah. Miss Um, Carrie didn't get a miscarriage of justice. Exactly.
2: (laughs) But it's interesting. I mean, I'm never going to try and provide somebody's affidavit. And if they were, I would oppose it, obviously, if a police officer tried to do it because I would want them there to be cross-examined. And that's essentially the way you deal with that, if that's how it plays out.
1: But I thought the more interesting argument in this case was the defense which that Miss Terry raised, which was, is, well, there, she argued that there was trespass onto her property and she couldn't be ticketed onto her property. It doesn't work that way if they're pulling you over to investigate an offense. was well,
2: another thing that sort of gave me the Sov set <laughs>
1: yeah. feel. But the offense, um, the defense that she raised to the offense was that there's an exception to the seatbelt law in the Motor Vehicle Act, which is that where a driver is actually engaged in work, that requires him or her to alight from and re-enter the motor vehicle at frequent intervals and who, while engaged in that work, does not drive or travel over 40 kilometers an hour. You do not have to wear a seatbelt.
2: So this is the newspaper delivery and milk van the, delivery. The Amazon exemption. delivery drive. Oh, yeah. Even the Amazon delivery when they you, get to your neighborhood. You, so long as they're not driving over 40, yeah. 40, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um she did not lead evidence uh, relating to the exemption, um, but she did make a statement in her evidence that essentially, uh, like, I guess, in the video recording, um, was if I'm driving under 40 and making frequent stops, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. I just made about five stops and I'm coming home for, for lunch.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this was dealt with by the court and Kyla will explain it. You've probably already figured out where it's going.
1: Yes. Um, so the judicial justice said what you uh, what you described, that the seatbelt exemptions, the frequent stops had to be in the nature of someone who's driving down a street like we used to think of a milk delivery person or a bread delivery person and deliver to every house or every second house. And they're getting out and running up with something. And if one is actually then again driving any distance, then that exemption does not apply. Um, and uh, the court essentially said because she didn't actually raise the defense. Um, even though she made the statement they considered it and they didn't apply it to her circumstances because she didn't provide enough evidence to show that she was somebody engaged in work that required her to get in and out of the car, that she was traveling at under 40 kilometers an hour, and that uh, she was actually engaged in that work at the time.
2: So she would have had to testify about all of those things. uh, And even if she made the argument at the end when she was no longer on the witness stand, of course, had she not testified about it, um, and had that evidence at least before the court to consider, uh, and of course been cross-examined on that potential mm-hmm. evidence, then uh, uh, basically even though she makes the argument at the appellate level and maybe referred to it in some point at the, at the trial level, that wasn't enough.
1: Yes, and in part because the Offense Act specifically says that the burden of proving an exemption uh, on a violation ticket is on the person who... Is alleging a lot the exemption. Of people, which is also the
2: lot of, law A lot of people don't understand.
1: And it's
2: not a criminal charge.
1: Her admission that she was on her way home for lunch meant that she was not actually engaged in the work any longer.
2: The the work was over. you had done her last stop after your last stop and you're delivering milk. You don't drive back to uh, Abbotsford in your milk truck without like, your seat.
1: Yeah, you're like a milk delivery driver. But it's your your day off, and you decide to go out to the Tulip Festival, and you don't wear your seatbelt.
2: Exactly. I would make a lot of stops, you know.
1: In my job. Anyway, yeah.
2: It was uh, interesting that she would uh, appeal this to BC Supreme Court. You think of the amount of time involved?
1: And the cost of the transcript. Yeah. Like, to just pay for the cost of the transcript is, is enough that it's not... But,
2: you know, it can be really meaningful to somebody, so... What the heck?
1: Enough. Okay, well, you know,
2: who are, or, it is. Who are we to judge?
1: Oh, I, I mean, I, I can judge. All I well. can, but I'm not going to. Now, more importantly, Paul, there's a very interesting case that uh, has come out from the office of the police complaints commissioner. Yes, and mm-hmm. so
2: you told me about this, but I haven't read it.
1: Yes, uh, so. you you sent me a link, and it wasn't even the story I was interviewed in.
2: And I nope. thought that was very rude. <laughs> well, I think it was before you were interviewed. I don't know. No, nope,
1: it was sad. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, my story, I'd already tweeted the story. I was. My
2: apologies. Yeah, yes. Par- Sorry. So.
1: In any event.
2: You're always four steps ahead of me and 10 steps ahead of everybody else.
1: So this case involves something that we see, unfortunately, maybe a little bit too often.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I didn't see it um, for the first 10 years of my practice or eight years of my practice. And it's probably because our volume went up so high. And we're so often asked, you're so often asked to comment about these things. And, you know, changes in attitudes. We're seeing this now quite frequently. And it is.
1: Police officers who get pulled over, investigated for impaired driving, and in the course of the investigation say something to disclose that they are a police officer and suggest that perhaps maybe they should be given different consideration.
2: And you'd think at this point that they would all know. Um, you know, I know retired, you know retired police officers who have known for a long time. One friend of mine was pulled over speeding in Washington State, and he was like, "I absolutely will not say anything. Absolutely will not say anything." And the officer asked him, "You remember?" And he's, "Yeah." So it was. I had already given him a warning and was right. releasing him. He was like, "Yeah." And that was it.
1: Yeah, you have to confirm that you remember if you are asked, but yes. you can't. You shouldn't raise it and be like. Oh man, I'm a cop. This is going to ruin my career. Which is essentially what this officer in this discipline case did,
2: and and so many do in a in, yeah. a, in a manner you it's know thinking that obvious. it's plausibly deniable or, or something. And it's every time you know the every the time imagine, it's it, interpreted at, it's in the wrong only, way. way. It's going to be viewed. Yeah.
1: Now, what I find interesting about this, and and maybe contrary to your point, is it seems to be connected to the IRP scheme. Yeah. I feel like as a police officer, like if you're off duty and you get charged with a criminal offense, at least then you can say, I'm presumed innocent. I maintain my innocence. I'm fighting these charges. And, you know, like, like most impaired charges, like 95% of them are going to resolve, under the Motor Vehicle Act.
2: In B.C. And if they're your client. Yeah. Uh, it's not the same with every lawyer, client, Kyla. Oh. the. the, the uh, <laughs> just. I used to be the head of the B.C. Impaired Driving Lawyers organization a long time ago. It doesn't exist anymore. It was uh, basically shut down after IRPs came out, but I knew the success rate of lawyers around the province it wasn't the same as yours.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't succeed in every single one, but yes.
2: Well, that's true, and people have different arguments, and the arguments that they think are important, they talk to their clients about them, and they lay it out, and they're Mm -hmm. all good lawyers trained doing, knowing what they're doing. But in any event, the point here is that it's not 95%. That's for sure.
1: Sure. Okay. But whatever. I think the RRP scheme though has a big impact on it because the consequences are immediate. So it's like you're not getting in your police cruiser and policing the next morning.
2: Yeah. You can't go to work and uh, drive your uh, police car. You've got to disclose it immediately to your employer the moment it happens. But the other reason I think it happens is because officers know that it's not criminal and They know it's administrative and so they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe because it's not criminal, I can, I can bring it up. I can mention the fact that I'm a police officer and, um, and that might, you know, might be some discretion, uh, that the officer's got to cut me some sort of break, give me a 24 hour driving prohibition or something like that. What they should be thinking and be cognizant of is that there's going to be a report one way or another. Mm. Uh, they're not letting them drive down the road. So if you're in that situation and you're under investigation and you're a police officer, I'll tell you right now, you're under investigation for impaired driving, you're pulled over and you're subject to an ASD demand, do not refuse, absolutely provide a sample, only provide one and keep your mouth shut. Yep, That's my advice because the uh, um, you're not obligated to provide two, which is going to be used as corroborative evidence against you ultimately down the road because of the... Uh, the uh, consequential investigation. Um, And if you refuse, um, that's a bad thing.
1: So the officer in this case, he was recommended to have a um, five-day suspension without pay uh, for driving while impaired and a three-day suspension without pay for seeking preferential treatment, and they were going to be served concurrently as well as a written reprimand because he drove with an expired license. <laughs> and the matter went to review. Um, A review on the record was done by the police complaint commissioner. Yeah, And they determined, they said that the proposed discipline does not adequately address the seriousness of the officer's conduct and that the level of discipline proposed by the discipline authority does not sufficiently consider several aggravating factors, one of which they place great significance on, was the prevalence of impaired driving.
2: And and they're absolutely entitled to place that emphasis on it, in my view, because think about the IRP scheme. It was introduced in 2010. Um, Since then, there's been 11,000 to 13,000 people every year have got IRPs. There's been no decline in it. And every officer now has a lot more experience in investigating because it used to be 7,500 impaired.
1: It'll be 13 years this month of IRP scheme.
2: Yeah. And yeah. It's where it's September 1st today. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, it was, uh, uh, 2010. September 10th, 2010. Uh, day
1: that will live in infamy.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was a Both day that always stressed say. me. Um, and, uh, has been, uh, has been a, a nightmare for us, but also, um, uh, professionally rewarding in the sense that we've accomplished a lot uh, for our clients over the years. But the um, the point is that <clears throat> there's twice as many IRPs as there ever was impaireds, And all of the officers, there used to be officers who were only relatively skilled would do impaired driving investigations um, unless they were general duty officers and had no choice. Uh, but now it's uh, every single officer is trained to, operate an ASD and is likely uh you know conducted some of these investigations and should know better.
1: Yes. So interesting. We'll see we'll see what happens. There's is
2: this the uh the officer who was um
1: was on probation on probation
2: Surrey, with the Surrey police. Yeah. So that's another
1: That's another factor and and you know the fact that the officer doesn't have this lengthy record of, you know, a 15-year career with no pre- prior disciplinary...
2: PTSD. PTSD. Or, which or, almost every officer yeah. has, understandably, so sadly.
1: Yeah, that, you know, there was nothing like apparently mitigating about the circumstances, which... Problem
2: is, it's, always, it's also somewhat mitigating. He's young and inexperienced and um, isn't likely to learn the correct lesson from this, and it's, gonna, it's going to haunt him for his entire career as a...
1: He'll have a positive McNeil for his entire career.
2: Yeah. So the um, a McNeil is a report on uh, some something that you've done wrong as a police officer that's required to be disclosed uh, yep. in circumstances where you're a witness.
1: In a criminal in case.
2: In a criminal case. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's many different ways that that cuts.
1: Yeah. So the review on the record is going to be presided over by a uh, retired B.C. Supreme Court Justice, Justice Arnold Bailey.
2: Oh, I know. Mrs. Arnold Bailey very well. She used to be a provincial court judge.
1: Yep. Did as some a, trials with her when she was a Supreme Court judge.
2: I think I had the last trial with her before she became a um, BC Supreme Court judge. I had the last provincial court trial with her. Well, there you go. I had the last decision from her as a provincial court judge.
1: Well, we'll see what the outcome is, and we will keep you posted on the Driving Law Podcast. But before we keep you posted about that, because that's not going to happen for a long time... I think it's time for the The ridiculous driver of the week. The
0: The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by
2: LexisNexis. Cross-examination, the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. This is such a good Ridiculous Driver of the Week and kind of fits in with my whole country music theme uh, life. Um,
1: I have to say, okay, there is a, a driving lawyer uh, in Calgary. I will not name who it is, but if they listen to this podcast, they will know that I am talking about them. Uh, who would definitely do this?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, so uh, this involves a... Uh, a, uh, a large Ford sedan, <laughs> the same type that you would see a Grand Marquis, used as a police vehicle. And this was in Nebraska. And the police were called. Why, Kyla?
1: Because there was a bull in the car.
2: So it's a it's a Crown Vic. And mm. you can find this online, and I'm sure uh, Jay will, will put in the uh, a you know, nice link people. on our... Twitter. account. Horn steer. But it's a long. He's got first. He's got bullhorns out on the hood. Okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but then he's got the roof cut off on the passenger side, front to back. And somehow he's managed to get a longhorn steer live into the car. Into the car. How
1: it how it got in?
2: And and it is like a Texas longhorn. It's huge, huge horns on this thing. And he's cut the windshield somehow. It looks like he's replaced the windshield with plastic okay. piece of plexiglass. plexiglass. And he's driving around, and his passenger is this bull, um, and uh, it, it is gigantic. What does he have written there on it the was, side? It was from best car entry. Best
1: car entry from uh, the Nebraska's big rodeo parade. Yep. So, and, and he's been he's been driving this car for years in parades oh, okay,
2: but has he had the bull in it every time? Like, this was driving down the highway with the bull in it, and he's got... Yeah,
1: I don't think he's been allowed to do it. It's like doing it in a parade versus doing it in real life. It's little...
2: Well, he's got some metal fencing there. That's the type of metal fencing you would see at the the at the at the corral, <laughs> um, maybe at the at the, uh, at the bull riding ex- exhibition or exposition or what have you, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and, you know, driving down the highway. And I'll bet that bull thinks it's going awful damn okay. fast. Um I just, I, love- I just think it's so awesome.
1: Okay, this, this this story is in the Associated Press and I love like the the quotes in the story. First of all, the bull is named Howdy Doody, awesome. which is funny. Um and his wife says that uh he the owner of the car thinks that he's a movie star. But Howdy Duty is basically like a family member. And she says, the amount of money that he's spent on this whole darn project between the car and the bull, I could've had a brand new kitchen.
2: Rhonda mayor. <laughs> um the uh interesting thing is uh this is like a Texas longhorn um cattle here that he's got. What what's a Howdy Duty? Yeah. Um and um, they are uh, held out as one of the uh very easy uh examples to understand uh evolution because um, uh, what happened was, uh, European cattle made it to North America. Some escaped, ended up in the area of Texas, uh, and then over a fairly short period of time, like a hundred years, they went from having these little horns to having these gigantic longhorns. And it was a result of needing to dig in the ground with their horns. And so Texas longhorns, uh, you know, ranchers went in there and discovered that there were these huge herds already had developed. Uh, and, um, and, uh, eventually, uh, of course that became the sort of one of the symbols of Texas. And I think we should speak a little bit about Texas right now because I released a new song and music video today that Jake can play to close up the show, um, about our close friend, Dallas attorney, uh, Deandra Grant. Yep. And the song is called Deandra. It's. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. It's available on Apple, uh, Spotify, and uh, the videos on YouTube. I'd like everybody to check it out. Anything to add, Kyla?
1: No, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Driving Law, Doug and the Slugs, Evolution, and DeAndra Grit.
2: And Police, police Ethics. <laughs> um police ethics and uh, and seatbelt law.
1: Yeah, the the Driving Law podcast My takes gosh. You places you never thought you'd
2: go. My gosh. This was such a good <laughs> podcast this week. Thanks so much. It's good that uh, it's good when we're together.
1: And if you have a driving law issue, you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.
0: all I've got Came after me with guns and badges Tried to take me down But Deandra, she was there She never let me hit the ground Deandra, she's my rock In this life, she's all I've got by me, Deandra, you kept me free, Deandra, you cleared my name, Deandra, you eased my pain, Deandra, Deandra Grant, you're the best damn attorney in town, I'm just lucky I got you around. Friends turned their backs on me. She knew the truth and kept her faith. Deandra, she never wavered. She stood by me, my one defender. Deandra, she's my rock. In this life, she's all I've got. I'm just lucky I got you around